Welcome to the First Baptist Cadillac podcast. First Baptist Cadillac is a growing intergenerational family of faith whose mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us each week as we engage God's word together. We would love to hear from you. Please contact us at firstbaptistcadillac.org or text WELCOME to 231-261-1112. We're going through our series on the, the fullness of life. Uh, we've been spending almost a full year, well, about a half a year looking at it, uh, what it means to abide in Christ. We've talked about the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. Now we're working our way through what it looks like to fight you know, the warfare of the Spirit with the armor that God has, has given us, um, the tools that we have to fight that battle. We're going to be looking at Ephesians this morning, and we're going to land on chapter 6, verses 10 through 16. So if you're somebody who wants to flip there and follow along, um, you can turn there now. But before we jump into the text, uh, I want to revisit briefly what we've talked about the last couple weeks, just in case you're joining us partway through the series. Now, if, you'd like to, if you're somebody who's joining us for the first time, or maybe you're online with us this morning, if you want to get caught up. Here are some of the other parts of that series. You can go to our YouTube page or to the church uh, website, firstbaptistcadillac.org, or if you're a podcast person, you can listen to that anywhere you would uh, listen to your podcasts. Spotify, uh, Apple, I don't even know what else is out there. That's what I use. (laughs) Um, But you can listen to it there. So if you're somebody who wants to get caught up or if you want to revisit something, uh, feel free. But there's, there's two quotes that we've been looking at a little bit these last couple of weeks by Tony Evans that Pastor Chad's mentioned. And the first one is, spiritual warfare is that conflict being waged in, in the invisible spiritual realm that is being manifest in the visible physical realm. And the second one, everything visible and physical is the result of something invisible and spiritual. Therefore, only by addressing the invisible spiritual cause, can we fix what is wrong with our visible and physical lives? I think those are our two profound statements. They say a lot about the world that we live in, um, the, the world that we're happy to overlook at times. There's this constant battle being waged between Satan and his minions. He wants Christ's cause to fail. He wants us to fail, but he's fighting a losing battle. Right? The moment Christ was buried, he defeated death, and he was raised back to life. Satan lost the war. Christ has already sealed Satan's fate. He's bound to lose. And it's important to realize that as we work through this morning's text, because our faith in what is to come is incredibly important. The devil is a liar. He's a schemer. He's a deceiver. He's always going to continue to pull us away from God's will, but if we push on in faith, ultimately Satan's designs will always fail. We've been breaking each sermon up into three parts. Satan's scheme, God's provision, and our implementation. Week one, we talked about Satan's scheme of lies, right? And his intention to undermine God's revelation with deception. We fight Satan's lies with the belt of truth. The best way to overcome deception is to to have a good grasp of what truth is. 
Week two, we talked about Satan's schemes of accusation. Satan wants to accuse us all of, of all sorts of things that, that make us feel unworthy of God's grace. And truth be told, we are unworthy of God's grace. But Jesus showed us at a huge cost to himself that his love, his grace, his mercy, they far outweigh our unworthiness. And it doesn't matter how unworthy we are, Christ went to the cross for us anyways. And it's because of his sacrifice that we're able to stand firm with the breastplate of righteousness against Satan's accusations. Last week, Chad talked about Satan's scheme of conflict, which causes enmity, right? This conflict between us and God and us and others. Look around. The world is not at peace. It hasn't been since the moment that sin entered the picture. War, disease, famine, racial tension, political divide, all of those are part of Satan's schemes to cause conflict, to create opposition, so that we see each other as the enemy instead of the true enemy, Satan. And the tool to overcome that conflict, right? the shoes of peace, which give us the directive to both stand firm, creating peace and eliminating division, and to march forward, advancing the message of the gospel to bring restoration to the world around us. The book of Ephesians is this awesome book. Right? If, if you're a type A type of person who likes to have a really linear train of thought, like I do, Ephesians is awesome. <laughs> the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul lays out some theological truths, right? Some things that are true about God's character. <clears throat> and then it, it says in, in chapter 1, 16 through 23, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Here's the part that I really want you to tune into from this. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And then a little bit later, in chapter 3, verse 20, he tells us that God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. And then in chapter 5, verse 1, we're given this charge, therefore, be imitators of Christ. And then we get to our text for this morning, right? Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 
Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. So let's, let's pause there for just a moment before we go on. This is why those theological truths that communi- Paul communicates in the first half of Ephesians are so important. They inform our view of what it means to be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Before Paul tells the Ephesian church they're fighting battles against Satan, he takes the time to remind them of God's immeasurable strength. And he reminds them that he is able to do far more than they could even think, that they can even ask for. The power available to them through their adoption into the family of God is far greater than the power that, of the enemy that stands before them. Right? Think about everything you know of God, everything that we see him capable of through the, the Old Testament and the New Testament, everything that you know he's capable of through your personal experience, through the testimony of others, that's just the tip of the iceberg. That's just a small glimpse of what God is capable of. He's able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think. So when we put on the armor of God, that is the protection and the might that we are battling with. Who does that armor belong to? God. It's, it's not our armor. It's not armor that we've fashioned ourselves. We're not going to battle against those powers, these principalities on our own. We go to battle with the armor that's been bestowed upon us by God, his armor. So let's pick up that scripture again in verse 14. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. This morning we're talking about confronting Satan's scheme of disruption. That scheme shows itself in a lot of ways, but two of the major ways is through trials and temptations. Satan wants to do whatever is necessary to disrupt our lives and to undermine our faith. Satan is demons. They know the best way to fight against us is to push us towards our own humanity and away from God's divinity. When we begin looking more at ourselves and less at God, it disrupts the life of abundance. It disrupts what it looks like to live in accordance with God's will. So let me suggest some of the ways that he does this. He uses trials to sow the seeds of doubt, right? And doubt unaddressed can lead to disbelief. I want to make sure that that doubt and disbelief, I want to make it clear that doubt and disbelief are not the same thing. We'll get into that a little bit more later, but, but they are not the same thing. He uses trials, right? Satan uses trials to to attempt to stunt our spiritual growth. Right? By getting us to fight battles from our own strength, it stagnates our growth in Christ. Satan tempts us, sometimes with things that we know are wrong and clearly sin, like drunkenness, pursuing desires that, that come out of lust, bad language, greed, that list could go on and on. 
but he also tempts us by using things that are, that are an altered version of God's goodness. Right? The temptation to acquire the knowledge of the Word, the truth of the Bible, at the expense of actually doing the Word can be a temptation. The temptation to love our families at the expense of giving God his rightful place in our lives. The temptation to stand on truth at the expense of grace. Again, that, that list can go on and on and on, but one of Satan's greatest schemes is to cause disruption and deception. As I read this week, as I studied, uh, what I noticed is that different commentators have all sorts of different perspectives on what exactly the purpose of the shield of faith was or, or what these flaming arrows represented. They had different thoughts on whether the battle was against literal demons or if the battle was against unrighteousness and allowing sin to take up residence in our lives. But if you trace all of them back, they all lead to momentary disruptions that if not properly dealt with, lead to unbelief. Paul was a, a, a pretty resourceful guy. And one of the ways that, he, that this comes through, his resourcefulness, is in the illustrations that he gives us. He uses his, his personal experience often in, in order to connect with the people that he's writing to. And in this case, Paul was writing to the Ephesians from prison. More than likely, He'd been given his, his own quarters, prisoners in Rome who, who weren't a threat to society or who weren't seen as a flight risk were often given their own residence if they could afford it. And then they either had a, a guard who was stationed with them or, or they might even have a guard that they were chained to. So when Paul is writing this letter, you have to imagine that he's actually sitting next to a guard who is likely a soldier. He's got this guard close by who he can look at, who he can see. He can actually see each of these pieces of armor that he's talking about. The shields that Paul is talking about were these large shields. And not the little shields that we often think about, you know, these little round shields that deflect blows, uh, but a shield that was probably four feet tall by two and a half feet wide or so. They were often two or three thin layers of wood um, that were then kind of like pressed together, almost like our plywood. And then they were covered by leather or some sort of cloth that could be thoroughly soaked with water before they went into battle. At this point in history, it's pretty common to use arrows at a distance to try to disrupt the waves of advancing soldiers or, or the ranks that you were advancing towards and it was common to use flaming arrows first so that soldiers would throw down their shields and then they had nothing left to protect them. Then they're just vulnerable to the oncoming arrows. But these large, leather-covered, water-soaked shields was one way to counter that attack because the arrows would come in, they'd stick in the leather that was soaked with water, and the water would actually put them out. It's also important to realize that these shields were more effective as a group than what they were individually. They were fairly large, so they weren't super mobile. Uh, but as a unit, they could be held together to create this impenetrable barrier. When they were used properly, an, an entire column of soldiers could move forward with relative 
safety. And as Paul was writing, he chose to pair up the characteristics of faith with this shield. One thing that struck me this week was that while the purpose of each particular armor uh, gives movement to our application to the text, the character that it represents is, is the thing that's really important. Right? It's, it's good that the shield gives us movement. It kind of shows us different ways that these things work. But the characteristic is what's really important. The characteristic is what Paul wants us to put on the armor informs the movement that it requires. So in this case, we're talking about faith. In Hebrews 11, 1 through 3 says, Now faith is the, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. All right, that's it right there. Faith defined. <laughs> if you continue reading Hebrews 11, you'll see all sorts of examples of faith that popped up through the Old Testament. Now here's, here's just a little snippet from verse 32 through 38. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong in our weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains of imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, misled, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts, in mountains, and in dens, in the caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised." These were all Old Testament examples of faith. Right. This was truly assurance of what they hoped for, the coming of a Messiah, the Savior. Right. The Savior that has now come, that all may have eternal life, and, and it's given substance to the, the faith that we claim. That's the provision. Jesus Christ came to die for our sin so that by grace through faith we could be saved. Right? That's God's provision for us this morning that Christ died for our sin so that by grace through faith we could be saved. What more could we need? <laughs> so what about doubt? Right? We're talking about faith. I feel like you really can't talk about faith without talking about doubt. Right? It's, that, it's kind of that elephant in the room question, right? If faith is assurance of things hoped for, and it's a conviction of things unseen, what about doubt? Satan's scheme of disruption is going to be intentional, and his hope is to get us to doubt enough 
to lead to unbelief or to keep us in disbelief. But as we think about faith, it's important to understand that faith is actually what enables doubt and is also the antithesis of doubt. I know those seem contradictory, but hear me out. Faith in Christ requires that we live beyond our ability, beyond our own knowledge. And when we live beyond ourselves, doubt is more likely. Right? That's part of our human nature. And it's why, it's, it's why Satan's schemes are designed to shift and to focus, shift our focus from God's divinity to our humanity. Because when we shift our focus from our own, onto our own ability and what is possible, then doubt comes in and removes God from the equation. When we choose not to focus on God, when he pushes us beyond our ability, what's possible is limited to what we know. When we remain focused on God and God's divinity in those moments of doubt, in those moments that were pushed beyond our ability, what's possible is unlimited because it rests completely in God's immeasurable grace and that abundance that we talked about from Ephesians chapter 3. So how then shall we live? What does our implementation look like? We have to keep in focus that these shields served multiple purposes, and they were used both individually and as a unit. So part of our implementation is in prepping the shield. Right, we talked about how they covered it in leather and they soaked it with water. That was prepping for battle. And in the same way, we need to prepare our shields for battle. The Romans soaked them in water so that they could put out those flaming arrow, arrows. So what does it look like to soak the shield? Individually, we need to continue to feast on the word. You want to know more about God? Know what he expects in every day-to-day situation? Know his promises and the things that he's guaranteed? It's all right here, right? It's all in, in, in the word. It's all in the Bible. His living word that's sharper than any two-edged sword able to divide to to marrow. God's word is meant to cut deep and to cause real transformation. And as we allow that word to shape us, our faith is being continually developed. As a community, the way that we prep the shields, as a community, we need to share our testimonies. I had the opportunity last week to to guest speak at another church, uh, a small church plant in town called The Refuge, and one of the things that I shared was that one of our most utilized tool, underutilized tools in the American church is the power of testimony. Whether it's because we're afraid of what people might think of that story, or maybe it's afraid that what we have to share isn't perfectly theologically aligned or correct, for whatever reason, we tend to keep our stories to ourselves those stories are what soaks the shields. And the more of those water-soaked shields you put together in one group, the more safety there is. 
right? For every person who's struggling with some aspect of their faith this morning, there's likely somebody else in this very room who has struggled with the exact same thing. But because we don't often share our testimonies of who God is, of how real he is, the work that he's doing in our lives, we feel isolated. We feel like we're the only ones going through this. We feel like we're the only ones who's asking this question and sometimes ashamed to ask the question because we don't realize other people have gone through it. We feel isolated and we miss out on the knowledge of how God is at work presently in the 21st century and we can be left feeling like all of God's story happened thousands of years ago when the Bible was written. Intellectually, we know that, that it's not true that God has stopped working. We know he's still at work. But practically speaking, when we fa- fail to share the story of how God is working individually in our lives, we rob the world of a glimpse of God's glory. Right? We, we rob the world of, of a glimpse of how God has strengthened our faith, and we aren't able to share that strength with those around us. Once we've prepped the shields, right, once we've soaked them, now it's time to use them. I, I enjoy playing video games. I know, I know I'm an adult, and video games are for kids, but they're so fun. They're so fun. And anyway, one of my favorite games right now is is Star Wars Battlefront. And some of the characters have these abilities and weapons that increase in strength as you take hits. Or some of these abilities are only available after you've been in combat for so long. In other words, as you become more battle-tested, your ability continues to grow. We have to move forward and we have to take hits. In our faith, we have to move forward and take hits. Our faith gives us the ability to move into the unknown beyond our present ability because of the assurance that we're going in the strength and the might of God. And just like when, when Peter walked on water, when Peter confused what was happening at the transfiguration, when Peter denied Jesus after he was arrested, there are going to be moments when we falter. That's part of human nature. There are going to be moments when we question things, when we're not entirely sure, when we're scared to admit that we're entirely sure. What matters is what happens when we falter. Do we get back up? Do we lift that shield and continue moving forward as our faith grows? Or do we stop where we are? Do we let fear, do we let self-consciousness, lack of ability, Do we let those things get the best of us, or do we press forward with the assurance that Christ has already won the war, and the battles that we fight only continue to strengthen us for the next trial and for that next temptation? When we step into that space beyond the unknown, what we already know, beyond what we feel is our ability, and we take the hits and we see God come through, our strength, our faith is strengthened in a way that it can't be when we stay in the place that we already understand. We don't grow in the places that we already know. We grow when we move with God in faith. We have to take the hits. 
until we step into the moments that leave room for doubt, we won't continue to grow. Communally, our role is to support each other and to continue pressing forward. The shield was, was primarily defensive, but they also offered the chance to attack. Because you could group together and you could form a barrier, it meant that you could advance on your enemy without losing your strength in numbers. I think about the scenes in uh, Lord of the Rings when they're coming up to when all the orcs are coming up and they've got this like huge shield of shields. Anybody a Lord of the Rings fan? All right, got a couple. All right. This is amazing scene and this battering ram comes through and the orcs are able to, you know, blast through the gate. It's only possible for them because they had these shields that they grouped together and they fought with their strength in numbers. I think we sometimes lose our strength of numbers the second we walk out these doors. And that causes us to turn inward to protect what faith we have and to not be bold in proclaiming the truth that we know. The world doesn't always, the world doesn't often respond well to the gospel. In fact, it's, it's growing more hostile to the cause of Christ. I recently read a survey um, from Canada that showed that a growing number of the population sees religion, evangelical Christianity in particular, as damaging to society. Not even just false or wrong, but actually damaging to society. I don't necessarily agree with the way that they went about getting results for this survey. I think it was a little bit stacked, but it doesn't change the fact that there is a not-so-small portion of people and a growing percentage of society that sees religious involvement as harmful to society. And that's the battlefield that we're called to. That's where we're called to walk into, one, one that is on guard, one that's ready to go toe-to-toe, and who perceives us as hostile before the battle even begins. So it is crucial that we not go alone. As we continue to advance the cause of Christ, we need accountability to one another, and we need to encourage one another. The shield of faith is a piece of God's armor. It's something that's given. So if you're someone this morning who's struggling with doubt, pray that God would continue to grow your faith. And don't be discouraged when the answer to that prayer doesn't come right away. Sometimes to be in that desert space where your questioning is healthy. Sometimes that's where God is growing you the most. Right, this may be one of the battles that, that's leading you from a place of unknown to a greater strength of faith than you have ever known before. And as we go this week, let's all remember that this battle is, is one that we fight together. Let's encourage one another as we see growth. Let's challenge one another as we see places that growth is needed. And let's share our stories of God's work so that we can all continue to grow into the fullness of him who has called us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning and the opportunity to come together to worship you. We thank you for the opportunity to look into your word and to understand how much grace you have for us. 
every circumstance and situation that we are going to come up against, you foreknow. Before we walk in to situations of, of the unknown, before our, our ability is attested, you already know what we're coming up against, and you've given us the very tools that we need. I pray that we would have the wherewithal to lean into you more and more each week. God, you are an amazing God, full of might, full of strength, who is more than willing to go to battle for us. And also a God who is full of grace, who's full of mercy, who's full of love, and gives us hope for every situation. And I pray this morning that somebody who needs to hear that and to understand that would have an encounter with you this week that would change everything for them. God, you are an amazing God. We pray that you would just continue to show yourself to us so that our faith would continue to grow. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.